Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right. I love, uh, as Naomi shared, uh, her heart is to see an Italy that uh, knows Jesus. Um, But how does she do that? She doesn't do that an entire nation in one go. She does that one person at a time. And I really believe that this is the heart of Jesus. As much as God so loved the world, the entirety of the world, that he sent his one and only son so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Time after time, we actually just do that one-on-one. I mean, there are people that do see multiple salvations. You think of great evangelists, modern-day evangelists, Reinhard Bonnke, even Billy Graham, um, who had these crusades with tens of thousands of people, Reinhard Bonnke, that have um, gatherings where a million people fill out decision cards and give their lives to Jesus. But most of us aren't speaking to crowds of tens of thousands or millions, even. Most of us have audiences of a few or even one and I feel like this is one of the main ways that Jesus operated there were times like the great uh, sermon on the mount that Jesus spoke to his disciples and to the crowds and Jesus ministered to crowds of people but time after time Jesus ministered one-on-one or one-on-two and I think this is a great encouragement for us because we can get caught up in being a part of the crowd or um, reaching out to numerous people or seeing the city of Horsham or the, the state of Victoria, the, the nation of Australia saved. But how are we going to do that? We're not going to do that generally hundreds or thousands or tens of, tens of thousands at a time. We're going to do that one person at a time in relationship and connection. So I want to go uh, deep into John chapter 4 where Jesus encounters uh, a Samaritan woman, as it's labelled in your Bible. Um, as always, you can, uh, if you've got your smartphone or your tablet, you can look up the YouVersion app and look up this event in the YouVersion app and follow the scripture along. You'll see a couple of other scripture references um, for your reading as well. We might get there a little bit later, but I want to spend most of the time in John chapter 4 because this is an incredible conversation that Jesus has, that his Jewish followers, his, the Jewish listeners listening to this after the fact, um, the, the first century readers of this gospel afterwards would have been completely surprised by this encounter that Jesus had with this woman at the well. Um, the Jews, we've talked about this before, but Jews and Samaritans were not the best of friends. They were not on speaking terms. They would avoid each other. But here Jesus is heading back uh, through Samaria um, as he goes back to Galilee. Uh, I'm going to read John, uh, John chapter 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. I love these couple of verses for a particular reason. And, it, and I bring it up sometimes when people say, Jesus doesn't understand my life. Jesus doesn't understand what I'm going through. Jesus doesn't understand. Apart from the fact that Jesus died on the cross, the most painful, horrendous death you could face. Here, these couple of verses 
displayed the human nature of Jesus like possibly few others. He was hungry, he was tired, and he was thirsty. Most of us can relate, if not all of us can relate, to being tired, hungry, and thirsty at some point or another, probably on more than one occasion. And here is our Redeemer, the Saviour of the world, tired, hungry, and thirsty. And so he rests, he stops, which is a, a good plan. And he says to this Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? This was a no-no on so many levels. Jesus is a good Jew, and this woman that he does not know is a Samaritan. Now, Jesus, as a rabbi, should have had pretty much nothing to do with a strange woman, and as a Jew, should have had nothing to do with this Samaritan woman. So here's Jesus all by himself, hanging out at the well, and here comes this Samaritan woman that he does not know, and he says, let's share a drinking vessel. If you were Jews, you would be horrified at this, but you're not, so we're not. And we follow Jesus' example, and as Jesus taught us to love our neighbour, love our enemy, and for the Jews, they would have completely understood loving their enemy in this instance. And Jesus says, woman, please give me something to drink. Can you imagine the woman's response in this instance? We have it. The woman, um, we have what she says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That is an understatement. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. For Jews despise the Samaritans. They'd been split up since around the Assyrian exile, like hundreds of years before this time. And so here's Jesus associating with the enemy of the nation at the well. But I love this because of the significance of wells in their culture. And for these people, wells were not only a place where you got fresh water for the day, it was a place where you could meet your spouse. Think about Moses, met his wife at the well. Think about Isaac and Jacob. Both of them found their wives at the well. It was a meeting place where you could find your bride. Think of it as the modern day, the olden day, I don't know, I was trying to think of something without being, I was going to say nightclub, that's all I've got. I mean, these days you can find your spouse on an app, so who, like, whatever. I didn't. Um, church youth group, there you go. It was the, the, the church youth group of the day, because that's where I met my wife um, years ago. Um, and so Jesus and this woman have this incredible conversation, verse 10 following. Jesus answered it, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. 
Sneaky Jesus. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. It's got to be, I don't know if it's encouraging, comforting or just straight up slap in the face when Jesus says to you, what you've said is true. Like, how do you actually respond to that? Thank you, I think. But for this woman, let's paint the picture. So Jesus says to her, uh, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Now remember, we're at a well. It's the sixth hour, which is noon. And this woman is there by herself. Most of the time, women would go together in groups in the cool of the morning or the evening to get their water. This woman is going by herself in the heat of the day to get her water. As I was reading through this, it reminded me of of Glenda sharing last week on our friend Zach and his isolation from the community. Not only was he separated because he was a tax collector, but he was separated. He had to climb a tree just to get a view of Jesus. He was set apart, set aside, possibly just rejected by his family and friends. Yet he stood out to Jesus for, for the fact that he just wanted a better view of Jesus. And here is this woman who would have been ostracized from her community to the point where she went out to the well in the middle of the day, in the stinking heat of the day, to get her water. And Jesus reveals to us and to her the truth of why she's in the situation that she's in. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with now, he's not even your husband. So there's six guys in her life in some way, shape or form. And if you, if you go and read about it, the Jewish rabbis of the day, they would say, well, maybe, you know, three husbands. If you go through three husbands, that should kind of be the maximum that you should go through. And she's had five for whatever reason. And in the culture of that day, if your husband died you, and, you, and you didn't have any children, you had nothing. You were on your own. And so here's this woman, five husbands, they're all gone. There's one guy, not her husband. She doesn't have the friends. She doesn't have community. She doesn't have support. She's out at the well by herself. And Jesus says, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through. And this is one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he knows the truth of the matter. She tries to cover it up to Jesus and she says, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, that's right. But there is no shame, there's no condemnation in Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, well, no, you've really messed up your life, haven't you? He stays in the conversation and looks to develop this relationship with the woman, revealing the truth of not only who he is, but who she is. And I feel like this is such a powerful reminder and encouragement for us as followers of Jesus in today's society. That this is what the world needs. We might know the truth about people, we might know what people have been through, but it's not for us to say, well, you've really messed it up. You are beyond hope now, aren't you? It's, you're done. No, we actually point them to Jesus and say, oh, man, I know that sounds tough. I hear what you've been through. I know it's been hard for you. Let me introduce you to the one who can actually redeem and restore and bring about hope and life where it seems to be lifeless and hopeless for you. So good is our Saviour Jesus. If you go, if you really get into it and you'll see that there's significance in numbers throughout, throughout Scripture and the number seven 
is symbolic of wholeness, of completeness. How many uh, days was the world made in? Seven. We're going to count when God rested as part of creation, yeah? So seven days. And you read through um, time and time again, seven comes up as this sign of wholeness and completeness. Now have a look at it. For this woman, she's had how many husbands? Five. Five husbands. The dude that she's with now is number six. And now here she is at the well, a meeting place where if you want to find your spouse, you go and meet them at the well. And she finds man number seven. I'm not saying that Jesus is looking for a wife. Don't, don't, I'm not messing up theology at all. But here she is at the well, engaging in conversation, developing relationship with man number seven in her life. The one who knew her. As you go on, I'm going to skip a bit because uh, she goes down in verse 29. She runs into town. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? From what we know, Jesus didn't actually say everything that she'd ever did. She just knew, he knew about her, her relationships and what she'd been through in life. But she's so overjoyed about what he had revealed to her and what he knew about her and the fact that he didn't throw her out or discard her or disregard her or disrespect her because of the family, the life situation that she'd been through. Um, I'm going to go back to verse 19 and read from there. Sorry to jump around. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And the Jews and the Samaritans, Samaritans are disagreed on this and they both thought that they were right sound familiar jesus declared believe me woman a time's coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for salvation is from the jews yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are kind of worshipers the father seeks God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. I've heard it a a few times and I love this expression. I'm still kind of wrestling with it. But the fact that God's not looking for worship, God is looking for worshippers. Because worship makes it about something that we do. And believe me, absolutely worship is vitally important as a part of who we are as sons and daughters of God. But more than our worship, God actually wants us, his worshippers. And when we worship, we fix our eyes and our hearts on him when we become like him. We turn our attention and our affection to him and we begin to see who we are in him. We begin to see who we truly are. Like this woman having an encounter with the Son of God at the well, she begins to see herself for who she truly is. More than the relationships that she's had that have been messed up for whatever reason, she sees herself as one who can be a part of the kingdom of God. And worship the Father. See, for the Samaritans, they, they had some of the scripture, they had the Pentateuch, they had the first five books of what we have as the Old Testament. So they had a knowledge of what God was like and what God had done in the past. But they didn't have anything beyond that. They didn't have the wisdom books as we have them. They didn't have the poetry and they didn't have the prophets. They just knew the first five. And Jesus here is saying to the woman and then to anybody who reads this and, and, and hears this story later on, You're going on what you know. 
It's one thing to know the stories of what God has done. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to actually worship in spirit and in truth and to begin to see the Father for who He truly is and therefore to see ourselves as we are really like. So you can read this, you can read this cover to cover and know about God. You can form an opinion about what He's like or what you think of God or what you don't think of God. Heaps of, like the devil knows this better than I do. Does that make the devil any closer to God? It's, it's not a trick question. It's all right. No, it doesn't. Because our relationship with the Father, our, the depth of our relationship, isn't based on how well I know this. It, this is, it's helpful, absolutely. We need to. This is part of our warfare against the enemy. When the devil came to Jesus and tempted him three times over, and the devil used this and twisted the truth found in Scripture and said, how about this, how about that? How did Jesus respond? Jesus actually quoted scripturally in truth and in power to put the devil back in his place. So we need to know this. But the entirety of our relationship with the Father isn't found in our head knowledge of this book. Yeah? It's actually when we worship him in spirit and in truth. When we come before him and say, God, you are my all in all. You are the one I seek. You are greater than all else. I love you, God, and I'll put you first in every aspect of my life. And then we begin to get clarity on who he is and what he's like and make him first and foremost in our lives. And so Jesus actually invites the Samaritan woman into this kind of relationship. He says, you, you know something of the Father, but a time's coming when you're going to know more of what the Father's like, when you'll worship him in spirit, in truth, not just in what you know in your head, when you get beyond what you know in your head. And the woman in verse 25 said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. She was still kind of wrestling with this. So the Samaritans had the idea of a Messiah um, and they, kind, um, they often knew him as a restorer based on some of the stuff that they knew from the Pentateuch. But they didn't know the Messiah that was coming like the Jewish idea of the Messiah. They didn't have an idea of the Christ that was to come and restore the world to relationship and the one that was to come and pay the price for all mankind to have eternal life with the Father. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? I love that nobody asks. Like, how often do the, none of the disciples speak up? Like we've got disciples that will disagree at the drop of a hat. We've got disciples that will call down fire from heaven on a village if it doesn't respond the right way. I mean, these disciples speak their mind. And here none of them ask. Can you imagine being one of the 12 guys that show up and here's Jesus, this good Jewish rabbi, and this Samaritan woman, and they've got in mind, they know the stories of what happens at Wells because that's where you go to meet your wife and they're just watching going, Peter, you ask. <laughs> Thomas, I don't know. Like, I would have loved to have seen that, just these 12 guys that come back. I don't know, is it like standoff at OK Corral? Sorry, that's probably like too much of a historical reference for some of our younger members. But just standing there, just going, waiting to see what happens. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. She leaves the reason she went to the well in the first place. 
She's been overwhelmed with this encounter with Jesus. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And there's this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about eating and, and the, the, um, the will of him who sent him is his bread and that's what he lives on. And that's, uh, that's a scripture for another time. Down to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything. I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. Do you remember last week Glenda speaking about Zach and Jesus went and stayed at his house and how the word stayed means to abide or reside with. It's not just, oh, we'll go and hang out for a little while, but it's this sense of abiding. It's this same word here. Jesus abides and, and resides with them. Even for a couple of days it may be, but that would have impacted them from then on. It's actually the same word when uh, John writes about the Holy Spirit coming and residing in Christ. It's the same Greek word as we have here, to stay. Jesus stays. When Jesus shows up, it's not just this half-hour cuppa. He comes and he stays and he changes your life forever because you, you, you don't you don't have an encounter, you don't have a conversation, you don't engage in relationship with Jesus and leave unchanged. I think I've got that around the right way. You're changed by an encounter with Jesus. You might choose after an encounter with Jesus to even be more resolute in not believing who he is or what he's like and some people do that. They get close to the Father and freaks them out for whatever reason or they get something in their head and they just turn away from the Father or... Time after time, people have an encounter with Jesus and their lives are changed forever. My life has been changed forever because of an encounter with Jesus. Do you know today is Pentecost Sunday? When the disciples were gathered in the upper room and they were praying and they were waiting for power on high that Jesus had promised them following his ascension, he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high and then go out into all the world in that power, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We want an encounter with Jesus. We want to be filled with his spirit, with his power. We want him to fall like fire on us, that we would go out in power. Not just words, but in power. The world's had enough words. The world's had enough words from the church for so long. They don't need any more words. They need to see an example of the power of Jesus Christ at work in us and through us that they would be changed forever by an encounter with the living Christ. Would you agree? So this woman, a bit like Zach, his li- their lives would have been changed forever because of this short conversation with the Messiah. This woman goes back into the town and she says to the town, this man told me everything, which is quite something. Obviously, by what we've got, she's overstating it. Jesus says, I know the men you've had in your life. I know what you've been through. But there's better things in store. So she goes and she tells the town and the whole town comes out to see Jesus. Because she shares a testimony of what Jesus had done in her life. 
Do you know the best way to convince the world about how good Jesus is, is to share the testimony of what he's done in my life and in your life. And if you don't have a recent testimony of what Jesus has done in your life, ask Jesus to show up in your life that you'd have a testimony to share. Or pinch somebody else's. If I get to a time and I need a testimony of what Jesus has done and I'm like, I can't think of what Jesus, I know he's done stuff in my life, I can't think of anything recent, I'll pinch somebody else's. I know Jesus is a healer, I know he's a restorer, I know he's a provider. I don't care if it's my story, it's Jesus' story, so I'll just pinch it from somebody else and use it. I don't claim it as my own, but I claim Jesus is my own and I know that he's like that. I know how good he is. And I just want to be the bearer of good news. Well, I've got enough bad news, I don't need to add to that. I don't need to tell the world what it's doing wrong. I need to point them to the one who's right. This is our mission. It's not to convict the world of all the wrongdoing and all the pain and the hurt. They know that. They've got the news. People can convict themselves of the pain and suffering in their lives. That's not our job. This woman, this Samaritan, she knew the pain and suffering in her life. She didn't need the king of the world to say, you've really messed up. You are beyond hope. Nope, Jesus gave her exactly what she needed and she needed hope, she needed life and she needed truth. You and I get to partner with Jesus in doing that. One-on-one. I love that story from, Na- from Naomi Brunacci. She wants to see Italy saved, but it, it takes place by meeting somebody in a train and developing a friendship with them and introducing them to Jesus and spending time in his word with them. Italy will be saved by one conversation at a time, one interaction, one chance encounter at a time. Horsham will be saved through one-on-one interaction. We hope, we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to sweep across this city. But if that's the case, you still know that we still need to go out and to declare his good news, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share his gospel, to be Jesus with skin on for people, to bring about encounters and conversations where people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ proclaiming their lives. And we get to be a part of that. How cool is that? People have encounters with Jesus when you and I go about what we're doing, but we actually are obedient to the Holy Spirit. We stop and we share the good news when people need to hear it. And we call people, we see people as God sees them rather than just as the world sees them. It's an incredible privilege and an honour that we have to be a part of what Jesus is doing on earth, to see his kingdom come and his will being done in Horsham as it is in heaven.